You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Sean Quirk. Sean is a former lacrosse player and coach. As a player, he was a goalie at Springfield and was twice named an All-American. Sean then coached Endicott University from 1998 until 2015, leading them to eight CCC championships, as well as taking the Division Three school from a ranking of 300 to as high as five in the national rankings. He has coached 21 All-American players and in 2020 led the Cannons to the Premier League Lacrosse Championship. Sean is a terrific leader and role model, And in this interview, some of the highlights for me were the role that positivity plays in correcting and sustaining culture, the pillars of respect, trust and accountability that shape his teams and how he talks about bringing these things to life in everyday actions, and the story he tells about starting as a head coach when he was just 26 years old and writing to each player individually and then maintaining that connection over the years. I love this interview with Sean. He's got great energy, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And just before we go to the interview, today's podcast 
is brought to you by the Macquarie University Business School's MBA program. Designed to empower, challenge and transform, the Macquarie MBA gives you the business skills and knowledge you need to succeed in an evolving global economy. The program bridges the gap between theory and real-world application, bringing together world-leading professors, executives and industry partners to teach you how business can be used for good. I have just started working with the team at Macquarie on some projects and can attest to the quality of the people and material. To find out more, search for Macquarie University Business School's MBA. And now please enjoy our interview with Sean Quirk, which I will just add was recorded in September 2022. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. So good evening, my time. I think it's probably early afternoon, your time, Sean Quirk, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Paul, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, we've gone back and forth and it's great to finally see you and I'm really looking forward to spending some time with you tonight. Well, in my experience, the interviews you have to chase often end up being the best ones. So I've got high hopes for this interview, Sean. No pressure to kick us off. But maybe I could just start with something really simple. Where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today? You know, every day uh, that I get out of bed, I consider it a blessing, you you know, every single day. And uh, today is no different than that. So we just wrapped up our premier lacrosse league season, um, you know, which we had a really solid year and, now we're just kind of gearing up for next year already. And my work at Endicott as the Associate Director of Athletics, I do a lot with the leadership with our student athletes, our captains, and our emerging leaders uh, here. So full swing with the college. And again, you know, every day is really a blessing. And uh, it's been a great day here in New England so far. Well, we're going to get all into Premier Lacrosse, we're going to get into leadership, and of course, we're going to get into Endicott too. But maybe, Sean, if I could start by just referencing a couple of the really good coaches that you've had experience with, Chris Bates, there's Nat St. Laurent, and Keith Bugby, and I'm sure there's a whole pile of others in your your long journey as a, as a coach. But I'm really curious, from from your perspective up close with these people, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Yeah, you know, I've, I've really been blessed throughout my playing career. Um, and although those days are over, Paul, my high school coach, Paul Adams, my college coach, Keith Bugby, um, were two of the greatest mentors, greater, greatest father figures, greatest teachers of the sport but really teachers of the game of life. And I think that's what really makes a special coach at all levels, whether it be youth, middle school, high school, college, even professional. Um, You know, the names that you mentioned to me, Chris Bates and Matt St. Laurent are two gentlemen that um, I've known for some time and I compete against in the PLL. Um, And those are two of the finest gentlemen in the sport. And I think in coaching in general, I, I think they communicate really well with their players and communication sometimes gets misconstrued, misconstrued with always speaking. Right. But so much of communication is listening and, and being an active listener 
And I sometimes and often think that that's a, a bigger piece of communication is sometimes people just want to be heard and um, to vent and to have someone hear, you know, their thoughts and their feelings. And I think those two coaches do it really well. Um, I think they lead with the type of sense of formality that it's not about them, but it's about the people that they are leading. Um, and my college coach, Keith Bugby, you know, who you mentioned as well, he is, he was my college coach for four years. I worked for him for two years. Uh, and today I speak to him two, three times a week, uh, consider him one of my best friends. And, you know, he always says, I recruit players for 40 years, not for four years. And he does that. I always say to him, coach, how he's been at Springfield college for 40 years coaching. That's a long time. It's a lot of players that have gone through that program. He connects with so many of them just on a daily basis, checking in to see how they are, how their families are. And I've learned throughout my coaching career um, that those type of things translate to on-the-field play. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the environment and culture that is really positive and an optimistic culture, it's going to go south really quick. So I base everything around relationships. And those are three coaches, you know, that you bring up, Paul, that I think do it really well uh, on all levels. Sean, when you became the head coach at Endicott, it was your first time in a head coach role, and you wrote a letter to each of your players before the season began. What did you say to them? You know, in that letter, wow, it's funny you bring that up. That that was 26 years ago, and uh, it was my first head coaching job. I, As a player at Springfield and, and coaching there, I had so much success um, with our team and our coaches, and we didn't fail a lot, and we didn't hit a lot of roads of adversity. And taking over a fairly new program at Endicott that was only two years old, I still remember we were ranked like 300th out of 312 schools in, in the country. And I said, I'm going to fail a lot. I'm going to hit roads of adversity a lot to get this program to where I dream it can be. And I did. I, I wrote every player on our team a letter just introducing myself, um, letting them know that I am here for them first and foremost as people. And secondly, as lacrosse players, and I really wanted to get to know them in there. I had a questionnaire with probably 15 or 20 different questions, just so when they stepped on campus, I was going to know each individual. I was going to know who their family was. I was going to know what their interests were. I was going to know if they had a pet. I was going to know if they had lost loved ones. Um, just really important things that I could know about them, putting lacrosse aside that when each and every individual came into my office, I could have a conversation and ask them about these things throughout that first year. And we built something pretty special that first year. Um, some of those guys to this day are, are my closest friends. I've uh, been to their weddings. They Many of them have kids now and you know get to see them from time to time. And I just tried to sustain that over the 18 years that I was the head coach at Endicott. 
was to always really, one, be positive with my players. If they were down and out, be optimistic with them. Um, that told them better days were coming and that you had to learn through those adverse moments to become a, a better man, a better husband someday, a better father someday. And we saw that translate onto the field. You know, by my first, even second year, we broke down every huddle saying family. And a lot of teams that now, I, I think. And family is such a strong word. There's good things that happen in families. There's tough times that happen in families, with families rather. And um, I think a lot of teams throw that word around pretty loosely, family. And it's always just been a fabric of who I think I stand for as a coach and what I try to instill in my athletes. Well, you took that, if my research is right, you took that team all the way to a fifth ranking, all the way from the 300s up to fifth, which is an amazing achievement. Yeah. Um, you know, it is. And it's a tribute to the great coaches that I always had on staff and the great young men that I coached and the belief that they had in us, right, as a staff. Um, so th those are some really special years. Sean, it was open heart surgery when you were 12 that actually helped you or helped you on the journey to becoming a lacrosse goalie. It was then it was the pressure of saving these goals against your brother in the backyard, where in your words, you started to thrive. This must've been a really powerful early learning about the upside that can come from life's downsides. Yeah, Paul. Um, you know, when I found out through a school nurse, my pediatrician never caught my heart problem of an atrial septum defect, which is a tiny hole in your atrium, and that needed to be repaired. Uh, I was living in Connecticut at the time with my mom, and we went to Waterbury Hospital, which, which is a tiny hospital, and I remember my mom leaving there and saying, we're going to go to Boston, Sean, to have this done. Uh, and I never knew much of Boston. Um, and went there for the surgery, and I was scared, you know, to have this surgery done um, at your heart. And I, I learned a lot through that, probably more years later, how much of an impact it had on me and my sports career and not being able to really play sports for a good eight months. Um, and I loved lacrosse. I loved all sports. I was probably a baseball player at, at the time, but my older brother, Brian, w was a great lacrosse player, and he was being ready to go on to play Division One lacrosse, and I was never a great runner. <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, I'll try goalie. I liked the big stick. It was cool. And he came home that summer after his first year in college, and I would always just tag along him and his college buddies. I actually went to a Red Sox game last week with him and all his college buddies, her high school buddies. And uh, he would take me to these college summer league tournaments. And I would be the goalie, you know, in eighth, ninth grade. And um, that's where I, I really found a passion even more for the sport and learning about the history and the culture of it. And I said, I want to be a goalie. And I was all in and kind of the rest is history. Well, you were captain of the team eventually at college that goes on to lose 
the NCAA championship in 1995. And I'm wondering how that experience of loss, of getting to the pinnacle and then losing, how it's gone on to shape your approach to coaching. Yeah, that that, uh, that 95 season was my senior year. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, we went 13-0 and in the regular season. We had returned everyone just about um, from the previous year when we did win the national title. And we said, this is our year again to win back-to-back national titles. And we lost that last game of your career by two goals in a national championship. And it, it was devastating at the time. You know, I said, kept saying to myself, this is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to me. You, you know, and you repeat that in your, your own head hundreds of times, but you learn over time that it's really not the worst thing that happened. Um, in a lot of ways, it wasn't a good thing, but it, it did make me a, a stronger person. It made me a better coach um, to be able to deal with you know, teams and players, when you lose a close game and you go out to battle and you leave it out there. Um, and, and those teammates of mine, they're my best friends. You know, John Kopaki, who was a teammate of mine, he's been on my Canon staff for the last seven years. Um, so many of those players, and I mentioned Coach Bugby, those relationships were just built from those highs and those low moments. Sean? There's a lot of articles about you that talk about your love and appreciation for storytelling. It's a big part of your communication style. And it actually really caught my eye when I was preparing for this interview. Could you tell us how you you use it to connect with your teams and influence them? Sure. Uh, John Yeager, who is, is a great mentor of mine, he is a legend in New England lacrosse. He was a goalie for Boston State, uh, played professionally for the Boston Blazers for a number of years. He he started peak goalie um, in 1991, which was a one-day goalie clinic. And I remember my mom driving me there to Massachusetts to attend it. And I was exposed to all these unbelievable goalies um, and learned from them. And, and I learned from John Yeager. And I started working John's camps when I was in college. Um, and long story short, I ended up taking over the camp after my senior year in college. When I was coaching at, at Springfield, John was getting out. And now John works the camp and comes back every summer to Endicott to, to work camp. So he was really a great mentor to me. And we would just always tell stories about goaltenders and goaltending and John is very involved in um, the mindfulness, mental preparation, and sports, sport psychology side of sport. And we would just tell stories. And that kind of translated with me that coaching young men from 18 to 22, now 22 to 40 years old, you can just tell stories, you know, particularly when people are not in the right place. And they're not feeling well about themselves or feeling well about situations. You can just tell stories about different situations, whether that you've been in or they talk about positive experiences that they've been in. And you just go back and forth and tell stories. Um, 
And I, I think it resonates with, with people really strongly rather than uh, I've never been a big fan of coaches or just individuals that always talk about themselves, right? And say, these are my experiences. But with my own kids, I story tell to them since the time they were little. My son is now a sophomore in college playing Division One lacrosse. My daughter's going off next year to play college lacrosse. I would always tell them stories when they were young, five years old to now my son being 20 years old stories about former players of mine maybe one that got in trouble and why we don't do certain things like that or how you can learn from mistakes like that or hoisting that championship trophy and what that means to, to young athletes and what it can do for their future um, and things of that nature i think the best stories always have some kind of obstacle that the heroes overcome and in your own story, that obstacle comes when you're 12. But as we're going to see in a minute, it, it, it keeps coming through your career time and time again. So it's obviously something that's innate with you because of your upbringing and the experiences that you had. But Sean, I wanted to ask you about team culture because um, you have a very good Instagram profile and just about every post has a hashtag that says culture. It's on all of your posts. You're obviously, you talk a lot about it in interviews. And I wanted to ask you, in just very simple or high-level terms, what defines a thriving culture from your perspective? Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've never tried to get too philosophical or uh, I consider myself a bright person but not a genius. So I don't try to overthink things. I try to keep things very simple. It, and that's what it is. In our culture of the teams that I coach and I'll continue to co coach, it, it's these things. It's respect, trust, and accountability. And I hone in on those three things constantly. If individuals can hold themselves to a high standard and hold themselves accountable, they can then hold others accountable. But until you can hold yourself accountable, you can't even try to hold others accountable. Um, and we talk a lot about that. We talk about trust that, you know, in my first season coaching the PLL, you could argue that I've had two of the best players and two of the best people on the same team, Paul Rabel and Lyle Thompson. Now, when the game is tied and you're go, about to go into overtime, are you going to trust your teammate and your coaches to maybe not put the ball in Lyle's or Paul's hands to win that game for them? And that trust comes throughout practices, team meetings, and that's really important. And the respect piece being a lacrosse coach is to always respect one yourself, your teammates, your opponents, and our sport. Um, you know, our sport was the creator's game, started with the indigenous people. And to know that history and that respect of where that came from is really important. Uh, but I, I believe that that respect piece is, is paramount. Um, now, is it going to get fiery out on the field? You're going to have conversations and, and words exchanged? Absolutely. It, it's part of life. It's part of sport. 
once that's over, you have to walk away respecting your teammate, coach's decisions, and, and your opponent, right? You're going to battle with those opponents, but they're who you are, you know? And uh, I think that respect piece goes a long way. So that's a big part of, of building that culture is one, talking about those things, but then demonstrating demonstrating it and then as coaches when those things aren't going right is holding individuals teams teammates accountable so we can go into the right direction with those things many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sean, if someone was listening and what you're saying is resonating with them very strongly and they're like, yes, respect, trust, accountability, these are things I want to develop, but their culture's a bit flat, what would you tell them to do first or second to get that culture moving in the right direction? Right. You know, I've mentioned it a couple of times, Paul, is, is being super positive even in down moments, if that culture isn't right and teams are losing or individuals aren't performing well, and that can be in life, it could be at home you're not performing well or in business, you have to remain positive and optimistic, right? Um, and I, I read a book by John Gordon. It's called The Energy Bus. It, it's a wonderful book because it talks about a bus driver. And that's her job is to drive the bus every single day. It gets monotonous. You're picking people up. You're dropping people off. And there can be energy vampires on that bus that are bringing it down. And that bus driver said hello to everyone getting on, have a great day, getting off, always kept the energy, energy positive on that bus. And it, that book always resonated with me because that's what a, that's what it's about. You're either on the bus or you're off the bus. You're either going to be positive and not an energy vampire and negative and looking at things optimistically and ways to improve and improve others or, or, or you're not. Um, and that's when recruiting players as a coaching, when I was coaching college and now in professional lacrosse, we look at that character piece. And I want to think every player in the league is a great person, but we really look at their background, you know, and what type of teammates they have been, what type of leaders they have been, and that sort of thing. And I think any organization needs to do that, right? You're always going to have those people that you got to bring up and continually try to bring up, and that's okay. You'll get them there eventually. Everyone's human. 
Um, and that's an important piece of, you know, trying to establish and, and recreate and build that culture. So, Sean, seven years ago, you go and become the head coach of the Boston Cannons. And in 2020, that team win the Major League Lacrosse Championship. I know that it's the league's now merged and it's become Premier League Lacrosse. But that 2020 championship was held in the bubble because of COVID. And I'm really intrigued to know what you learnt about your leadership style in such a trapped, intense environment. Hmm. It was... It, it was a whirlwind, and I get somewhat emotional talking about it because, you know, everyone in the world w- was locked up in their homes. And I always say that those were three or four, you know, leading up to the bubble, greatest and worst months for all of us, right? You, you watch the news on TV. The way that it was the best was we had our family, Um you know, my kids and my wife in the same house. And we did so much together under one roof, you know, couldn't see other family members because of COVID. And our team didn't know if we were going to play and have a season. And we had constructed this team from the previous year where we lost in the semifinals. It really took three or four years to build this team to get to that championship level. And it was almost taken away for us to go to Annapolis, Maryland and play. And the emotions just getting there was draining beyond belief. And once we got into the building that we were staying at, it was like, all right, we're together. We're here. We've arrived. What do we need to do now in these 14 days or so to compete? to become great, to put everything that we would typically do in three months to prepare for game one, to do it in one day, essentially. And we had a lot of team meetings. We did film sessions. We had to build that culture, even though we had a lot of the players back from the year before. We had to reestablish because we had some new players in our locker room. And it was just the whole 14 days of competing, being on the hot fields, um, getting back to the hotel, getting IVs, hydrating, eating healthy, getting players prepared um, physically and mentally to get back on the field the next day. It was draining for everyone. And at one moment in the middle of the week, you know, we, we were doing pretty well wins loss wise all week. And I just, I hit a block. My, my mind hit a block of adversity. Um, and I wasn't being positive for about two hours with my coaching staff because I was being rigid in what we needed to do where I need to adjust typically after a game, I need to digest, I need to reflect. And I didn't have any time to do that mentally. So it it was really draining. And I just had to check myself out, um, you know, for a couple hours, just get some cold water, get a good meal, and just sit and flush everything out and then get back to work. And our players never saw that, you know, because you're the leader of that team and you don't want to put up a mask and that sort of thing. But as soon as they see any type of vulnerability or negativity, 
that spread that can spread like wildfire in a team. And I was lucky that, you know, I could block that out with the help of my staff and, and everyone else um, that we got it on track. We ended up winning that championship and it was just a sigh of relief, Paul, at the end of that game that, that we had done it, that we had built, you know, for four years in Boston to get to that point, to win it in that type of environment. Some people say it's easier to do it in a bubble season because it's shorter. I thought it was a lot more difficult, to be honest, you know, because you don't have that week off in between games to prepare, to digest, to reflect. Um, so it was a whirlwind. It, it really was. But looking back at it now, it was just such an experience that I don't know if we'll ever have that type of experience again. Hopefully not in those kind of circumstances. Um, you know, you, you couldn't leave the hotel. You had to have all your meals in there. You were bused from the hotel facility to the practice facility to the game facility. There were no fans. There was no, no one. It was an empty Annapolis um, Marine Corps stadium. And although the games were on TV, on ESPN and that sort of thing, you didn't have that interaction. My family wasn't there, um, you know, and that sort of thing. So it, it was a grind. Um but it was certainly a great achievement for those men. Sean, coaching staff is very important to you. You referenced it in your answer then. What do you look for in good support staff? You know, I think, again, the first thing I say it over and over is great people, um, certainly very knowledgeable and tactical of the sport of lacrosse, uh, great communicators, great listeners, and coaches that aren't yes men or yes women that have been on my staff. I've, I've been the head coach of, you know, the Cannons for the last 17 years, for Endicott the last 18 years. I've always been the head coach um, for the most part. And a number of my assistant coaches are or were head coaches, so they've been in that role. But I never want assistant coaches to not feel like they have an extreme voice with myself or the team. Um, I don't want them to just yes when I bring up suggestions. I want there to be challenge and debate and con um, communication and, and even conflict, you, you know, within those conversations to ultimately get to the point where we all agree and say this is what's in the best interest of the team and. I think that's really important. I also looked at their, their, um, they're almost like adjunct head coaches, right? I want them to be a link between the players and myself as well, because that relationship with assistant coaches is different with the players than a head coach. I think oftentimes players will go to an assistant coach initially to say, coach, what do you think about this? We're thinking about going to coach work with this, but want to get your thoughts before we do it. And to have that, again, that trust, that respect um, of those assistant coaches that we're all on the same page for the most part all the time. Um, and I've really been blessed and fortunate over the years that I've had amazing assistant coaches. And, that, you know, people say this, but I really attribute so much of the success that I've had as a head coach because those wins and losses go in my column 
not theirs. And they've, um, they've just been unbelievable, so many of them over the years. Sean, one of your roles at Endicott is to run the leadership development programs for all the varsity captains. I'm intrigued. What are the key elements of the syllabus? It's it's what I love best about my position at Endicott. Um, you know, I, I kind of do day to day operations in the department, um, but that's really the element where I get to be with student athletes, the best of the best. Of 800 student athletes, we have about 120 emerging leaders and captains in that group, and we have a, a set of core standards. Um, and we have a, a statement of leadership and we meet with that group once a month, each group once a month, and we do leadership training. Um, and those core standards are effective communication, commitment, confidence, and character. And we built out this program with a lot of the input of the student athletes eight years ago. Um, and it's really become a, a a foundation, a fabric in our department is building and developing better leaders, one for their teams, but two, again, when they graduate and they're alums of Endicott and they're no longer playing their sport, that they can use these tools out of their toolbox in the careers that they choose, in their family settings that they're going to be in. Um, so it's a lot of training, but again, hearing from them where, where they need, you know, skill development and that sort of thing. And the way it came about was our programs at Endicott are, are very successful athletically and they do amazingly in the classroom, but everyone on every college campus, whether it be junior college or, you know, the big time Division one is the athletes are our best leaders. Everyone says, it. and our athletes were really good leaders, um, but they weren't the best leaders. And that's where it came about is we said, you know, if, if everyone's going to say our athletes are our leaders, we need to continue and, and train and build them into better leaders. They think people think in general, it's a stigma that because you're good at a sport, you're a great leader, right? And it's just not the case. Um, it can build character athletics through winning and losing, but that was how it came about, and uh, it, it's a great program. Thanks for asking about that. No, I'm sure I'd like to ask a follow-up, actually. You said you have a statement of leadership. Do you happen to have it handy? Could you read it to us? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, Paul, our our core standards of leadership are our commitment, character, effective communication, and confidence. Uh, with those four core standards, we defined what leadership is. And if you look in the dictionary, you Google leadership, you, you'll come up with literally thousands, tens of thousands of leadership definitions. And again, we went back to our student athletes and before the lead program was built, and we defined leadership as a, as a process where an individual influences a community to achieve a common goal. A process where an individual influences a, co a community to achieve a common goal. And, and it's pretty broad, right? To achieve a common goal. 
But that common goal comes back to our core standards, right? Where we want effective communicators. We want our student athletes to feel confident in what they do. In the world we live in with mental health and mental illness, student athletes and people generally to feel confident and comfortable in their skin, who they are and character. We do so much character building and how can they spread that to the community? You know, if we have a student athlete at two o'clock in the morning and there's a party and people have been drinking, we want that student athlete to do the right thing when maybe others aren't. And that shows character, um, certainly. And, you know, the last thing of commitment is to be not just committed to your sport, but to be committed to everything you do, your academics, your family, being a great friend, um, being committed is a tough thing, right? And I think when times get tough, people walk away from different situations. I'm not playing on this team. I'm going to quit. I'm not doing well in a course. I'm going to drop the course. My relationship or my marriage isn't going well. I'll just start a new one. But it's really having that commitment level and drive to improve and make things better that ultimately then shows your character, right? So they all kind of tie into one another. And we base every meeting, every conversation around our core standards. Sean, you bring such clarity to a complex topic. You also bring a lot of clarity to the art of coaching, and I've heard you talk about family many times in this interview. I'd like to ask you, over the arc of your journey as a coach, how have you learned to bring more balance into your life at school, in the professional league, as a player with the family? How have you managed to unlock the key to having that balance? Or maybe you haven't. Yeah. I was just going to say that the balance is is really tough. You know, coaching and lacrosse, have, it's been my passion for just about my entire life. It's, it's what I think I'm good at. It's what I love. It never seems like a day at work. My position at Endicott in athletics in 26 years starting now here at Endicott, Maybe five days it felt like I was going to work, you know. Um, coaching in the PLL, um, I own a couple businesses of lacrosse camps. How do you tie that all together and, and still have a marriage, have two wonderful kids, and have that balance, right? Um, over time, I was really fortunate that I could bring my own personal family into these environments and bring them to games, have them come to my camps. Uh, my daughter's going to be a freshman at Endicott on the women's lacrosse team where I work, right? Although she tells me she is not going to come by my office uh, unless it's like to drop off her laundry or probably get some money, right? Um but in all seriousness, that, that balance is really key. And I've been so, again, blessed that my wife has always, always supported me as a coach, uh, as an athletic administrator, 
it's long hours, it's weekends, it's time away. And my family has always stood by me. When I came home after I resigned from my coaching position at Endicott, I thought I was doing my family a favor because the grind was just getting too much for me. And I don't want to say I, I was losing perspective, um, but I, I needed to step away from coaching. And when I went home and my kids were younger then, my daughter was 10, my son was 12. They went to every game. They loved it. When I went to tell them, I have good news, I'm going to be home more, I'm getting out of coaching, both of them started crying because they love going to the games, they love being around the players, and, um, you know, I, I am home a lot, which I'm very fortunate that I am when I was coaching and outside of coaching. And then, ironically, the Cannons job opened up in August, so I resigned, Paul, in May of 2015 the cannons job opened up in august of 2015 and at the time I, I knew the general manager and vice president kevin barney and the president ian Fournette really well both springfield grads they said you want to have a cup of coffee i, I said sure I, I talked to them and you know a week later I, I was the boston cannons head coach and people were like you just got out now you're back in what's going on here you know um, but I, I missed it. You know, I, I really did miss it. My family missed it and it, it's been a big part of their lives and, and certainly mine. So continuing to always keep that balance and check it. It's really important to do. And, you know, the time that you are home to, to really make those times special. Sean, it's been a great chat. I've appreciated you carving out a little bit of time for your, from your very busy diary, but maybe one final question. And it probably builds on this idea of what you were just talking about, which is head coaches never really retire. As you said at the start, they coach, uh, they coach for 40 years, not four. But in the distant, distant future, when you do hang up the whistle, pack up the uh, clipboard, what's the legacy you hope you've left as a coach? You know, the, the biggest thing is – I hope I've changed lives for the positive and that every player that I coached can take away things that they can implement into their lives in good times and bad and look back and say, you know what? I learned that in this team meeting. I learned this or that on the field. Um, and that's the biggest thing for a legacy, right? It is that people took away things and you made an impact on their lives. The wins and losses, Paul, I tell my kids all the time, you know, I played lacrosse in college a long time ago. Those national championship losses, those wins, you kind of forget about them. But what you don't forget about it is the relationships and the bus rides and the banter in the locker room and the dinners as a team, the trips as a team, you'll never forget those times. So the relationship piece is paramount to everything. Banter and relationships feels like a pretty good place to finish. So Sean, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. First time I've interviewed a lacrosse coach, absolutely fascinating learning more about the sport and hearing a little bit about how you not only 
lead the team at college, but you also lead the professional team. And I think most impressively, this leadership development program you've set up at Endicott just sounds terrific. So it was wonderful to meet you and thank you very much for your time. Paul, thank you. This was uh, this was really special. Great questions and uh, very thoughtful and meaningful and uh, I really enjoyed my time with you. Thank you. Hi everyone, it's Mike here and you've been listening to the great coach, Sean Quirk. Sean was a wonderful guest and I hope you found a few ideas that you can share with your family and friends. Some of the highlights from the interview for me were the leadership development program Sean runs with students to help them lead through the challenging moments in which they will soon find themselves. The way Sean looks for support staff who are comfortable challenging him and opening conflict when it's required. The power of storytelling to both reach people and convey messages. And how the great coaches are active listeners and recruiting players for four decades, not just four years. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before you go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. The interaction with people all around the world who listen gives us great energy. And all the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.